I want to ask you a really baseline human question. Once you get through the security checkpoint at the airport, what's the first thing you do? A coffee. <laughs> Someone said, at least you're honest, right? Most people, it's go to the gate, right? You have to make sure it still exists, you know, in case it disappeared in between when you got that flight booked and when you showed up to the airport that morning. Now, most of us fly in and out of Grand Rapids when we go somewhere, and it's a pretty simple airport. Like, the gates are pretty much always going to be there. It's pretty reliable. Uh, and besides Starbucks, most of us go to the gate first. Lindsay and I do that. every. It doesn't matter what airport we're in. It's like, can we just get to our gate and then we'll go get a bagel? Or can we go to our gate first and then we can kind of let the kids roam or whatever? Our kid, I don't know, we don't, multi, we don't take other people's kids. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> kid, singular. Um, but as I was thinking about that, I, I remember the first time that I flew Southwest Airlines. Anyone flown Southwest recently or in the past? Okay, so a lot of us. So Southwest is kind of goofy, right? Because you get, you get your ticket, but you don't pick your seat. You get a group number or zone number. And so you get in these lines based on your group number, and those are typically paid upgrades. You get a better group, you pay more for a ticket, which we're cheap and we don't do that. So we pay for the cheapest ticket possible. And so we've ended up being in like the last groups to board the plane. Well, the catch is if you're in an earlier group, you get to pick a better seat, right? You can grab the exit row. If you're tall, you grab an aisle. If you like to see out the window, you grab a window seat somewhere. You want to be in the front or you want to be in the back. You can pick where you are. And I remember the first time I flew Southwest, I was standing in line waiting to get in my zone, like for my group to go forward. And I'm just sitting there and watching group after group grow. And I'm like, I am going to be stuck next to two sweaty dudes eating Subway in the middle seat. Like that's going to be my situation. And, uh, and so we finally get on the plane and it hit me. We're standing in this tunnel waiting to get our seats, waiting to figure out like, who did I get? And you're eyeing everybody. You are judging every, you already do this, right? Even if you have a seat, you're judging like, I really hope I don't sit next to that person. You know, like you all do this. I do this. And so I'm in this tunnel and it dawns on me. You know what? We all paid varying amounts for this flight. Some, some people paid like way more than I did to get on this plane, but we're all going through the same tunnel together, same gate, and all of us are going to end up at the same destination airport. And I felt way better about my middle seat. <laughs> so it gave me a sigh of relief. I was like, okay, I feel a little bit, a little bit better. And the reason I bring that up is because Jesus actually talks about that. He uses that exact metaphor in the Bible to talk about our relationship with him. Now, it may not be Southwest, and sure, he didn't fly a plane, but he does talk about how we get into life with him, how we get into the kingdom of God, and how we stay in, in relationship with him. And we're really starting out a series today. You picked an awesome Sunday because we're beginning a journey of looking at the seven defining statements about who Jesus is, and they're all Jesus in his own words. They are not what culture says about Jesus. They're not what I think about Jesus. Uh, they're not what your neighbor thinks about Jesus or the person on your Facebook feed. They are literally what Jesus says about himself. And we're just calling this I am. They're all I am statements in the gospel and, and the book of John. And so if you have a Bible, uh, today I want to give you in John 10 uh, what I feel like is a message of two things. It's a message of challenge and it's going to be a message of encouragement. So for some of you, this is going to be a message of challenge and conviction. Others of you today just need to hear this word from God as a voice of encouragement over your life. I don't know which one it is. 
just felt like that as I was praying this morning. It's a message of challenge, and it's a message of encouragement. And so in John 10, we're going to start in verse 7, and here's what Jesus says about himself. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am, say this word with me, I am the what? The gate. Most people, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is Jesus in his own words. Now, to understand this passage and even understand the next couple Sundays, you have to understand sheep, <laughs> okay? None of you are sheep farmers. I'm, I'm willing to make a good bet on that, that that I know of at least. Maybe you've been around sheep. I lived in New Zealand, as I shared last week for a little while, and uh, the, the human-to-sheep ratio in New Zealand is one to four, all right? There's sheep everywhere. Every single time you go in the country, you got to avoid a bunch of sheep crossing the highway. And so I got familiar with sheep. I was around them a lot more than I ever had been. But I want to give you a couple of fun facts about sheep here in first century Israel and why Jesus says what he says. Are you good with that? All right, 9 a.m., so you're ready? Okay, so a couple facts. Shepherds would begin grazing their animals just after dawn, lead them to pools to drink around 10 a.m., get them to shade during the midday heat, bring them again to the water, and then pasture them further, allowing them to graze kind of pastures throughout the evening. Okay, so there was a set pattern, a set rhythm to how shepherds would lead and, and eventually feed their sheep, just like your life. You've got routines. Shepherds had to move flocks often far from home for long periods because of the dry summer, right? So we're talking about kind of, I don't know, desert Israel, essentially, and they would have to find these regions in which they could feed the sheep easier. So they'd go up higher. Often the shepherds were skilled mountaineers. Like they, they knew how to get around different terrain. They knew how to find a good spot to have the sheep stay in the middle of the night. And often these sheep pens or these kind of places where they would stay for the night were nothing more than like a glorified cave or something. They're carved out kind of in a cleft of a rock, or they'd be these makeshift pens that other nomadic shepherds had set up. Sometimes there'd be permanent structures in which different shepherds and flocks would use. They'd kind of rotate around as they went to these higher regions to find grass. Okay, is your mind blown yet? Okay, so Jesus is really concerned about using this metaphor. He uses this, this idea of sheep and shepherds in a, in a bunch of different places and all throughout the, the Bible. But sheep pens never had multiple gates, ever. Because, because of their nature, because of how kind of makeshift and sometimes temporary they were, they didn't have like multiple doors, multiple entry points, and it was also a safety issue, right? If you're a shepherd who cares about your sheep, you're going to make sure that there's one way in and one way out, and you are protecting that one way in, right? So this is, this is why Jesus uses this. Now, Jesus says, I'm the gate which is ironic because really none of these sheep pens had gates. They didn't have doors, right? They, they literally would just be kind of an opening or a crevice in the rock in which the sheep could get through, and the shepherd would literally lay in front of this opening, and he would be the gate. He's the functional gate. If you wanted to get into the pen, you had to go through the shepherd. If you wanted to get out of the pen, you had to go through the shepherd. And so every single night... 
when these sheep would come in, they would have to be checked on or checked in rather by the shepherd. So you can imagine your sheep, you're coming in for the night and the shepherd is standing there at this opening and he is checking you out, making sure. How are your legs? Did you get cut? Anything happened? Sometimes the shepherd would bandage them or heal their wounds on their way in. If sheep was crying, sometimes he would draw them close, hold them, and he would always identify the sheep. He would know which sheep are mine, which sheep are from another flock. Because often, sometimes, like he says, thieves and robbers would come in and try to take people, take sheep away from the sheep pen in the middle of the night or while the, the shepherd was distracted with, with another sheep. And all that to say, Jesus is saying, that's me. That's me. I am the gate. I am the way to true, full, abundant life. I, it's, it's through me. You, you don't get there any other way. Literally in verse 9, if you have your Bible open or, or device, you, you saw this. He says, I'm the gate. And then he says, whoever enters, and the Greek is literally through me. It's like emphatic, underlined, bold, exclamation points after exclamation points. Jesus saying, you want to get into true, full life, you got to go through me. You have to go through me. You can't go just because of me, and you can't just go around me. You have to go through me. You got to step over the shepherd to get into true life. Now, first, that sounds like, man, that's kind of aggressive <laughs> like chill out why why can't there be other ways like is is it any other thing possible but Jesus claim here it's exclusive there's just no way to read it any other way he's saying no you have to go through me to get to life through me to get saved through me to be rescued from sin and from darkness and from your own self-serving nature like you have to go through me his claim is exclusive but get but make sure you hear this it's not exclusionary. It's exclusive. There's only one way. But he never says, and you have to be a certain way to get into the, the sheep pen. At least that's not what my, my Bible says. So it's exclusive, but it's not exclusionary. Anybody can get in, but you got to go through the gate. Anybody is welcome. Anybody is invited. Any sheep, if you're hurt, bandaged, crying, broken, confused, almost fell off a cliff, just narrowly missed, you know, like wherever you're at in life, you can come into the sheep pen. Jesus is saying that, but you have to do it through me. See, the core of the gospel, friends, is life through Jesus, not just because of him. I think sometimes if you grew up like I did, I'm good with the because part. I'm good. Like I was around church just like you are. I, I checked off the box. I was around I was familiar with Jesus. I got all the theology. I knew all the, the answers. But in my mind, my life was because of Jesus. I was saved because of him, which is true, but I wasn't continually saved through him. Like he wasn't the way to life. I got saved and then I found my way. I decided this is the way I was gonna do it. But the core of the gospel is life through Jesus every single day, every single moment, not just because of him. And to try to illustrate this, I was reflecting on this this week. Sometimes for me, I'm a very linear, linear thinker. Lists are good for me. I, I, I need like a visual list to see it. When I, when I preach, it's like straight down the page. I'm a very simple thinker. Okay. I'm taking, 
in case you were confused. So I'm very, very simple. And so I've got these lists. I want to show you this list and walk through because versus through kind of life. Okay, because of Jesus versus through Jesus. If you live a because of Jesus life, often you, it, you are dependent on Jesus on your terms. Crisis, financial strain, about to have a baby, want a baby, have a spouse, want a spouse, like dependent on Jesus, but it's on my terms. I decide when I'm dependent versus a person who finds their life through Jesus is dependent for everything, everything. If you live a because life, you are sustained. I'm sustained by my performance spiritually. Did I show up to church? Did I give enough money? Did I open the door for an old lady? Did I not curse on my kids? Like you, you go through this moral list and make sure you've performed well enough. But a life through Jesus, it's sustained by total grace. I can't do anything to change my status before God. He just loves me unconditionally, whether I want to believe that is true or not. If you live a because life, I've, most people, and I've been here, you live with a temporary view. What can I get in this season? What can I earn in this life? What can I secure for myself? Can I get that cottage? Can I get that boat? Can I just secure some of these things to make me feel good about my temporary existence? But a person who lives life through Jesus has an eternal perspective, has an eternal view on things, does not consider the world the way that most people consider the world. If you live a because life when it comes to money, tight grip because I may not have enough, right? I've got I've to earn more or I've got a big, a big thing coming up. I got to make sure I have enough in the bank. I got to secure myself. I have to be safe financially, but a person who lives life through Jesus, not just because of him, is radically generous because they understand we have a rich God. I've got, I, I am in relationship with the God of every single resource possible. I don't need to be tight-gripped with anything. I'd be open-handed with everything. If you live a because life, even Sunday mornings, worship, it ends up becoming for me. Do I like that song? Did I feel emotions today? Did, did Peter and the team lead me well enough? Am I feeling it? Did I even go to church? <laughs> did I even engage if I was online? Like what, Whatever it is, worship ends up being for me. I filter it through the lens of me. But a person who lives life through Jesus says worship is for God. Worship is for him. He's valuable. He's worthy. He deserves honor, praise, exaltation. He deserves my full attention the minute I walk into his, his presence. It's for him. It's not how do I feel. It's how, how am I making him feel? And, and the last one is one I, I process through. is a, a person who lives life because of Jesus instead of, instead of through him talks, talks in these terms. I need to get better. I need to get better. I've got this sin, got this habit, got this secret addiction, broken relationship, hurt, trauma, whatever it is. And we think I need to patch all those things up before I can come into God's presence, before I can be with him, before I can live life with him. Versus a person who lives life through Jesus, recognize we are all jacked up. <laughs> like We're all this way. It's an illusion to think otherwise. Just church staff or not, you know, like, and, and the person who lives life through Jesus doesn't say, I need to clean up these things. I need to fix these issues. I need to resolve the marriage before I really engage with God. They say, I need to be with Jesus more. I just need to be around him more. 
when my eyes are fixed on him, when I'm living life through him, all these things tend to resolve. All these things tend to, to have a, a beautiful story at the end, even if they look dark in the moment. It's not I need to get better. It's I need to be with Jesus more. I need more of his grace, more of his power, more of his mercy at my life. That's why the core of the gospel, Jesus is saying, is life through me, not just because of me. I'm not a holy starting point for the way you want to live life. Life has to be through me. That's why there's this beautiful stepladder here. Because if you think about it, every single major religion in the world, and I've been around the world, some of you have been around the world, some of you know the major religions of the world, every major religion in the world is positioned the same way, just like this, a ladder. Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, I mean, you name it. Secular humanism, and we could go through all the isms, all the lists. Every single major religion is you figure yourself out and you climb up the ladder. And eventually, you'll get to God. I'm not sure if I should step on this, but I'm gonna do it. You know, every single major religion, this is how it's positioned. You have to climb the ladder high enough to get to God through your moral perfection, your behavior, through the rituals you do, the sacrifices you bring, through how your kids act, whether or not you're enlightened, whether or not you've gone through suffering, doesn't matter what religion you study, what religion you, you try out, this is the position, it's a ladder. Every single major religion in the world is positioned like this except one. And he guesses. You know, the way of Jesus is that God, there is a ladder. And God in his humility and his grace walked down the ladder to people like you and people like me. The core of the gospel is not, it's not a ladder to climb. It's a gate to walk through. And that's, that's why Jesus is so bent on using these metaphors. He wants us to understand that the core of the gospel is life through him, not just because of him. I mean, you, can, you can't read the Bible without seeing these sheep and shepherd uh, metaphors everywhere. I mean, it doesn't matter, Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, one of, one of the passages I, I was studying and hadn't even really read deeply before, Ezekiel 34, 15, the Lord literally says to his people, Israel, they're, they're going through a difficult time. The leaders fail them, different people trying to influence them. And he literally says, I myself, God, Yahweh, I will tend the sheep. I'll be their shepherd. They don't need a human shepherd or human influencer I will be their shepherd. That's the opposite of a ladder. It's God stepping down, even before Jesus said, I will lead them. I will be their shepherd. They will be my sheep. Francis Chan, pastor, writer, says it this way. I believed I was saved by grace, but it was up to me to stay in God's good graces. That's life because, not life through. Life through is to say, it's grace at the beginning, it's grace in the middle, and it's grace in the end. I just got to go through Jesus. I got to go through his way, his gate. And that's the thing. If you know anything about sheep, right? Sheep are completely helpless apart from the shepherd. Like how many times I almost hit a sheep driving around in New Zealand? Maybe you've had this experience. You've been around sheep or been like a petting zoo. Like they're just dumb. There's no other way to put it. They are dumb animals. I'm not sure that God wired them properly, you know, that... 
they are completely dependent on a shepherd to take them anywhere. I mean, even in first century Israel, these sheep would have all died had there not been a shepherd who cared for them, who took them to those higher regions for pasture, who made sure they had a rhythm for their day, who checked in on them when they came in the sheep pen. Like they're completely dependent. And that's one of the things that really strikes me about what he says in John 10. See, Jesus saves us from the danger outside the gate. That's true. God will protect you. It may not look how you want it to look, but he will protect your life if you trust him. He, will ha- he has your best interest at heart. He will save you from the danger outside the gate. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing. He also saves you from the danger of being your own gate. And there is danger in that. You may not feel that today. No matter where you are spiritually, there's danger in being your own way. There's inherent danger in being your own shepherd, your own path to salvation. Jesus uses the words, when he says save, the word sozo, which is like the biggest, biggest, broadest concept of salvation. It's like salvation, not from the beginning, but in every single moment, every single hour. You, know, you may remember the old hymn, you've been around church, Lord, I need you, every hour I need you. We sang, we sang that a few weeks ago. Like that, that's what he's talking about. That's what it means to be truly saved. And so many of us live our life looking at these ladders and saying, if I'm just, if I'm just good enough, if I just have a good moral streak in my life, my kids will just figure themselves out. If I just get a better job or I just find a nicer church or a better leader, or I just follow these people on social, like then that stuff will get ironed out. That's not how life works. You know, Tim Keller, a theologian, put it this way, deep down, we cling to the simplistic idea that if we are good, life will go well for us. And he ends the quote by saying, untrue, (laughs) untrue. Like, I hate to break it to you, the formulas don't work. Deep down, we, we cling to that. We cling to the ladder, even if we've been around church and we know all the stuff in our heads. But that's life because of Jesus, not through him. And Jesus' heart for every single one of us is to live that, that kind of life. And the, and the thing is, all of us are smart enough to know this doesn't actually work. We know it, but we still cling to this idea. There's something about us that wants to take on our own way to be our own gate. And Jesus is saying, if you let down all of that, if you set all that aside and you just go through the gate, you will find true abundant, bursting life. Sure, the enemy's desire is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what being your own gate ends up being, a process of destroying your own life. But I have a, bit, I a different way, a better way. That's why I love how, in, if you go back in verse eight, all who have come before me, he says two things, are thieves and robbers. Thieves and robbers. Like I said, these would have been other Shepherds, other people trying to make a dollar off these sheep. They would try to come, swoop in, circumvent the gate, get over. And the shepherd would always fend them off. And the sheep, they, they know the shepherd's voice, right? They, they wouldn't follow them. They wouldn't go. It says the sheep have not listened to them. And you may be in situations or scenarios right now in which other people are trying to pirate. Literally, that's the word Jesus uses, pirating true life to you and to me. And in fact, our world has agendas and budgets 
and, and, and streams of income, ensuring that you buy into their way of true, full, lasting life. And Jesus is saying, if you just set those aside, if you just realize that that's, that's a sham, it's, a, it's an illusion, you'll experience the most true, beautiful life possible. You'll set aside the ladder and you just gotta walk through the gate. You know, that to me is one of kind of the most beautiful things about something like we did last Sunday, a baptism. Because baptism, if it's anything, is a public declaration in front of a bunch of people that I am not my own savior. I'm not my own king. I'm not my own gate, but I am entrusting my life. I'm putting my life, not just because of Jesus, he saved me, awesome, I can go do my own thing. I'm actually putting my life in the hands of a God who wants to care for me and empower me and equip me every single moment. It's life through Jesus. And just to share real quick, I asked uh, both Caleb and Jennifer got baptized last weekend. If they would just share kind of a snippet of their story with me and, and here's what Caleb brought, I love this. He said, I strongly believe God has been stirring my heart to renew my faith and commitment to him in this new season of growth and change and transition. Getting baptized allowed me to share this conviction and affirmation of faith with the community of Christ followers at the Center Church and will allow God to continue the good work in me which he has started. Beautiful, that, that's life through. That's all over that. I love what Jennifer wrote. She said, I was saved 14 years ago when anxiety and depression had taken me over. But Jesus called me out of darkness. And over the past 14 years, I've grown in my relationship with him. Here's the catch. She writes, I've always backed away from baptism due to anxiety and that same fear. But I needed to put that aside to put Jesus first. That's life through. Not just because, it wasn't just 14 years ago, that was awesome. It was right now in this moment, I need Jesus to be my savior. I need him to be the, the gate. I need to go through him for true, full, lasting life. And that invitation's on the table to every single one of us today. Maybe there was a point where you trusted that way. Maybe there was a point where you were surrendered like that. And you look at yourself now, early in 2023 and just say, I need to get back there. I need to get back there. I need to get back to life through daily dependence. I don't want, and I'll just speak for me. I'm not speaking in front of you. I don't want to go days, weeks, months without having any kind of reality of God's presence in my life, without just saying, I can do it on my own, without facing crises and we're in one. I shared a few weeks ago, we're in a, we're in a, a tough season and it's exciting and it's challenging and it's terrifying and it's beautiful and it's all those things. I don't wanna go through all of that thinking I can figure it out. Anybody else? Let's, let's do life through. Let's do life through, not just because. Great starting point. Thank you, Jesus, that I didn't have to climb this, but I don't wanna be tempted 15, 30, years later to say, I've got to get back on this thing. Just set this aside and let's just say, Jesus, you are the gate. We're going to take on life through you. So would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, we thank you for how you're at work. We thank you for your presence. We thank you that the reality is that no matter where we are, maybe brand new in faith, maybe still asking questions, maybe we followed you for decades faithfully. 
that your call is actually the same to every single one of us. It's to go through you for real life. It's to set aside the ladders, set aside the, the charts, set aside the perfect streaks and just say, God, we're, we're in need of you. you. You are the gate, you're the way, you're the truth, you're the life. No one can come to real, full, beautiful relationship with you except if we go through, except going through that way. So I just wonder, I don't, I don't know where you're at today, but maybe say, yeah, that's me. I need, to, I need to get back to that place of just full dependence, full trust, full surrender. Maybe you've never done that. Maybe you've done that before. I'm gonna ask you to be bold and just throw a hand up before we pray. If that's you, if you just know right now, I need to get back to that place. I'd love to pray specifically for you. Anybody here today that, that needs that? Thank you. Thanks. So God, I just pray right now that for every single one of us, but specifically those people who just identify, yeah, I'm in that place. I need to get back to just full, full trust in who you are and what you say and life through you, not just because of you. And I pray right now that you would set them free from performance. You would set them free from striving. That in every single circumstance, whether it's sickness, financial problems, doubt, questions, mental anxiety and, and depression and fear, whatever those things are that, that they carry, feeling like they're not a good enough spouse, not a good enough parent, not a good enough follower, whatever it is, that you just set them free and unleash in their life today, in this moment, a wave of grace, your grace, that we cannot earn, didn't achieve, we didn't climb our way up to, you just came down and said, do you want this? Do you want this? I, I have this for you, but you have to take it. I pray that today they would just take it. And God, we, rec we recognize that there are honestly people in our lives who need that. And I pray that even today, those of us who've just followed you for a long time would just be spurred and motivated with love to reach out to those people, to call them to do life with you too and to surrender themselves to you. And so we just thank you again for all that you're up to. And we just, we praise you. We worship you. We honor you. And so in your, your name we pray, amen.